This morning, we continue with our Genesis series. We've been studying Genesis for several months. And why do we study the book of Genesis? Because it is the book of beginnings. We set out, we showed you this uh, overview. That there are four great, event, four great events. The creation, the fall of man, the flood, and the birth of the nations. The Tower of Babel. And then we said that we were going to discuss four great people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we've been studying Abraham for some time. Right? Now, what did God do to Abraham? First, He called him out. Abraham, leave your country, leave everyone, and go to this place that I will show you. Now, it's easy for me to go to a place that I know where I'm going. Right? Before you had the, what? The paper map. You remember that time? Thomas. Right? Thomas Guide. Right? You young people who have not experienced that, you know, and then when you go down, look at page 44. You have to go to the other page for the continuation of the map. If it's still not there, you still go further down. You remember that time, guys? Now what do you have? Right? You have Waze, you have Siri, you have GPS, you have all kinds of technology. With Abraham, no. Abraham, leave. Go to this place I will show you. If you remember when we shared with you, why did God get Abraham out of that situation? Because he grew up as a pagan. They had pagan worship going on there. And God chose Abraham to pull him out, to bring him to a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the plan of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, when he was called, in verse 2 it says, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so, you shall be a blessing. That's the promise of God. We've been studying the difference between a contract and a covenant. A human contract is made by two parties. And you have one who may or may not fulfill the contract. And then you have a mess. When God makes a covenant, when God makes a promise to you, God will fulfill it, no matter what. He will do everything and anything necessary to fulfill that promise to you. Do you believe that? He made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will make you a great nation. The problem was, he was 75. The problem was, his wife Sarai was barren and was beyond childbearing years. But who promised Abraham that he will make him into a great nation? God. Who promised Abraham that he will become a great blessing? God. God reminds Abraham again in chapter 13. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Can you count the dust? So shall the descendants of Abraham be. So numerous that they cannot be numbered. God reminds Abraham a third time. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham and God have this conversation. Uh, how will it be, God? I think uh, Eliezer, one of my nephews, one of the people in my household, he will be the one. It will be through Eliezer that you will fulfill my promise to me. And God said, no. One from your own body will be your heir. And let me show you. So God tells Abraham, look. And look outside and said, now look towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. God is faithful. He even reminds Abraham, even in Abraham's doubts. How will it be, God? Even after Genesis 15, the dust, 
the stars, so shall your offspring be. Do you know what God's promises are for you? Are you clinging to those promises despite our eyes, despite our circumstances? The problem with Abraham and Sarai after Genesis 15 was Sarai had this great idea. Her name is Hagar. Hagar was their maidservant. So Sarai has this great idea. Abraham, maybe what God intends is that for you to have sexual relations with our maid so that you will be a father and you will be a father of a great nation and all nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham, being the godly man that he is, he said, let me, okay, why not? And you have Ishmael, right? Yeah, You have Ishmael. When, God, when man intervenes with God's problem, uh, with God's plan, all kinds of problems come up. Hagar, who was with child, began to despise Sarah. There's be becoming friction and strife. See that? Why? Because man decides to intervene, to mess with God's plan. Notwithstanding, notwithstanding this, God still is faithful to keep his covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 17, as for me, God says, behold, my covenant is with you. God's covenant is with Abraham, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Not through Ishmael, but through one who is born through your own body. And this time next year, you will have a son, and you will name him Isaac. In the meantime, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. His name Abram, noble father, exalted father. He's not even a father yet. Right? But even before Isaac is born, God changes his name. You shall now be Abraham, father of many, father of a multitude of nations. When God changes your name in the Bible, there is an accompanying transformation of the heart. Saul, who once was a persecutor of the church, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Indicative that there is a change that God has introduced in the life of this individual. This morning we continue. I'd like to backtrack a little bit on Genesis chapter 17. So in honor of the Word of God, may I invite you to please stand as we read Genesis chapter 17, 19 to 13, and then later on towards the end. Let's all read. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my But verse 
24. Ishmael, his son, was 13. The very same day. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or brought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for your word. Your word stands the test of time. And far be it, Lord God, that we share our opinion apart from your word. Teach us, Lord, what you want us to understand this morning about this sign of the circumcision that you've given to Abraham and how we may apply it in our lives. Go before us, Lord God, superintend what you've allowed me to prepare, and may we all hear your voice. We commit to you this time, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What have we been reading? What? Time and time again, I've even highlighted it in yellow for you. What have we been reading about? What is Shishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishish
until the seed, the one who will bless the whole earth, will come. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus, you see Abraham. Got it? I underline for you, it shall be what? It shall be a sign. Okay? Now, the topic of my message this morning is this. Are you ready? Those of you who are old like me, Bert Baccarat, a chair is still a chair. Even when there's no one sitting there. Right? But a sign is not a sign. What do I mean? What is a sign? It's a mark, an indication, a token. It is use of that which distinguished a person or thing from others. It is a warning. It's also an admonition. It is a signal, beacon, monument, omen, token, evidence, or prodigy. Okay? It is a symbol. You got it? Now, what is the word assign? The word assign means to give, to allocate, to allot, to give out or to announce a task, to appoint, to a post or duty, to designate, to name, to specify, to ascribe, to attribute, to bring forward. Is there a difference between assign and to assign? The sign is a symbol. To assign, you attribute something to that thing. You get what I'm trying to say? When God told Abraham, you shall circumcise every male in your household beginning with you. Why? This is a sign of my covenant. The problem is the sign which is not to be assigned became an assigned thing to do. It has lost the very purpose for which God had commanded it. Let's look at some signs. This morning, we shall just have three points. The signs, the sequence, and the solution. First, the signs. Anything wrong with the sign? Nothing wrong with the sign. But the moment we assign something to it, we will have a problem. When man begins to intervene, we will have a problem. Look at some signs. Genesis 9, 9 to 13. God had just killed everything except Noah and his family and every pair of living creatures, male and female, who entered the ark. And this is what God said. Now behold, I, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never be again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there be again a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and you. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. What did God give us? A rainbow. What is a rainbow? A rainbow is a sign. Is the rainbow going to be the one never to kill humankind through a flood again? No. It is God who said, I'm never going to destroy life through the flood. And this is the sign. Every time you see a rainbow, remember my promise to you. I will never kill humankind through a flood. So what's going to happen when the time comes? It is going to be through fire and brimstone. You don't believe me? Read your Bible. The rainbow is a sign. It is not the promise. It is just a sign. 
In Numbers 21, background. The people were liberated from Egypt. They began to complain. It's too hot. It's too cold. We have no food. We have only this kind of food. We don't have water. It is better that you have left us in Egypt. We had a better life over there. Was that the truth? No. The reality is they were being swatted, killed like flies. When they complained, what did God do? The Lord sent, verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from, our, from us. And Moses interceded for the people. The people sinned. What did they do? They repented. They were sorry for sin against God. They asked Moses, Moses, can you pray to God on our behalf? We're dying. What did Moses do? Then the Lord said to Moses, This is the Lord. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. What's the solution? Is the serpent the solution? What's the solution? Why will you? It's like, Pastor, I got shot. What will I do? Here's the gun. You look at the gun, huh? Then you will be healed. It doesn't make sense, does it? But who told them? God. You see, God really works in mysterious ways. God, I'm, I've been beaten. I'm going to die. I have sinned against you. What shall I do? Look at the snake. I'm going to die. God tells you, look at the snake. What does Moses do? Okay? What does Moses do? And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard or a pole. Okay? And it came about that if, if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay? So if you are that person, you grumbled, you complained, which in God's eyes is a sin, the serpent bit you. You're not going to die. What will you do? What will motivate you to look at that bronze serpent? That sign? Only faith. Only if you believe that that is the solution for you, then and only then will you look. If not, you will try to do something. Where's that I saw on TV? Crocodile Dundee. You know, he would open and he, whatever. You will try to fix your own problem. You will set aside the sign that God has given to you. You won't believe it. But if you believe it, you will look. That's why God told Moses, fashion a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up. That's why in the New Testament it says, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Now here in, in Mount Nebo, you have this. Maybe similar to what, of course, this is not the real thing. But they have that, so you know that that's the place when you go there. Okay? So there's a pole. They set like a snake over there. Is that a problem? No. Who told them? Who told Moses to make something like this? God. Oh, no problem. The problem is they assigned something to the sign. What? Yes, look at what happens in 2 Kings 18. He removed, this is talking about King Hezekiah. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it and it was called Nehushtan. What happened to that snake, that bronze serpent that God told Moses to, to fashion. It's a sign. What did they do? They assigned something to it. They began to worship that Nehushtan. So King Hezekiah, when he came into power 
he destroyed it. Why? Because they were already burning incense to it. They had already attributed it as an object of worship. They assigned something to what is just a sign. How about the Bible? Joshua 1 verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The Bible or the law, what did God command Joshua to do? Huh? To read, to meditate, to obey. And what was the promise? In your obedience to the word. You will be successful. You will be blessed. You will be prosperous. Right? Can the Bible be an object of worship? Can you assign something to the Bible that is not intended by God? Look at what Jesus said in John. That's a picture of the Torah, the Old Testament. John 5.39 You search the scriptures because you think that in them, in the Bible, in the word of God, you have eternal life. It is these that testify, that talk about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. The Bible, the Word of God, is meant to transform us, not merely to inform us. And Jesus Christ is saying to the Jews, you believe the Word of God, the Bible, what you have over me. You should read your Bible. Why? Because it is the Bible that talks about me. But who can give you eternal life? Only Jesus. You get it? A sign is not a sign. So, if that's the case, what's the purpose of the Bible? Romans 3, 19-20. Now whatever the law says, the Bible, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and that the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When you read your Bible, hopefully you and I will realize how sinful we are compared to a holy God. You remember the message on vision a couple of Sundays ago? When Isaiah saw God, what did he do? He said, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I am ruined. The purpose of the law is to see how separate we are from God. The purpose of the law is to point us to Christ. That's why Christ said in John 5.39, you study the law, you think that in the law there is salvation? No, the law speaks about me. The Bible speaks about me. You're more in tune with the Bible rather than you are coming to me so that you can have eternal life. You see the difference? The law will bring about consciousness of sin. The Bible does not give you eternal life. Only Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. Coming to church does not give you eternal life. Attending D group does not. All of these are needed. But the only person who can give you eternal life is Jesus Christ. Even the cross. Does this give you eternal life? The cross was the symbol through which Jesus Christ was crucified for the salvation and forgiveness of our sins. But there are people who have assigned something to this piece of wood. Genesis 17, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be the sign. What happened? Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We just read, what is circumcision? 
a sign. How about now? Is it still a sign? Is it now just a sign? Or is it now a requirement according to Acts 15 verse 1? See, unless, oh, according to the Jews, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, what they are, they're assigning salvation to circumcision. Right? Eh. The other one says, I have something better than that. Ah. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now what do you have? Now it is not sufficient just to have circumcision. Now it is also equally important that you must be required to obey the law. If you do not obey the law, if you not allow yourself to be circumcised, you cannot be saved. What happened to the sign? They assigned something different to what was originally just a sign. Get it? They said, you have to we have to compel them to follow the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 27 says, if you rely on observing the law, you must be able to observe the law perfectly. It is actually a curse. So, James and the rest said this. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. Should you obey the law? Should we obey the commandments? Yes. Will obeying the commandments bring us to heaven? What will bring us to heaven according to verse 11? Jesus. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Look at verse 10. They even admit that they cannot follow their own law. What? Yeah, because it used to be originally just 10. But they, they expanded it to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. Even they admit we cannot follow it completely. And we agree that it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that they are saved even as we are saved. A sign is not a sign. How about the elements this morning right here? We have juice, we have bread. 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, this is baptism, by the way. Sorry, before we go to that. 1 Corinthians 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. No, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say, you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Before that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel in cleverness of speech, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. What happens? What happens to the act of baptism? The symbol that, that, that Alex and Nathan stood up here to say that we've been baptized. Is there a problem with baptism? But the moment you say that if you are not baptized, you cannot enter heaven, we have a problem. You have just assigned something to a public sign of an inward change. If, 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 the, if baptism you know, is not necessarily for salvation, then why do we teach it? Why do we preach it? Why? Because Jesus Christ told us to do it. It's right here. 
Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why do we teach baptism? Why do we encourage you to be baptized? Because the symbolism of baptism is your identification in the death of Christ, in His burial, and in His resurrection. It is also a symbol of your newness in life in Christ. It is also to show that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. It is an act of obedience. The problem is, oh, you, have you been baptized in CCF? Oh, no. Oh, you cannot go to heaven. What happened to baptism? They have assigned something to it that it is not. Our background, our religion preaches that. If you're not baptized in that church, you cannot enter heaven. Don't take my word for it. Research. Read the catechism that they teach. There's nothing wrong with baptism for so long as we do it in accordance with the intent that God has given it to us. But the moment we take something out and try to make it what it is not, then we have a problem. Even with the Lord's table. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed took bread. What did he take? What, what language do you, what did he take? Bread, okay? Bread, ordinary bread, right? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance. What do we have here? Bread. Is that the body of Jesus Christ? In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. What do we have here? Juice. Is that blood? No. If that's really a piece of flesh and this is really blood, will you partake? Even, you are, even if you are a mortician, you will not eat. This is symbol. Look, when Jesus Christ said this, was he dead or was he alive? So what does it mean that he says, this is my body? Is it a sign? What does it say when he says, this is my blood? He's still alive, right? So is this a sign? Yes. Why do we insist that this piece of bread is literally going to become the body of Christ and this cup of juice is literally going to be the blood of Jesus. When he said, do this in remembrance of me. Plus, he said this while he was still perfectly alive. If he did that, then he's like a cannibal. Okay, this is my body. This is my blood. He didn't do that. He took the bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup of wine saying, this is the cup of my blood in the new covenant. Drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Once we assign something that the Bible says it is not, we have a problem. And this has been taken overboard, overboard by so many. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. There are two institutions that God had commanded us to keep on doing. Baptism, commanded, and the Lord's Supper. All others, He didn't tell us to do. So this is what we are faithful to do. We don't do it too often, lest it become ritualistic, and we forget the significance. We don't do it too far. 
lest we forget. This celebration of the Lord's Supper that we're going to do this morning is a proclamation that Jesus Christ took our sins on His body on the tree. This Lord's table is symbolic that Jesus Christ shed His blood for the forgiveness of all our sins. These pieces of bread, these cups of juice, they don't change. They will not make you better. They will not earn you more points. This will not help you be saved. But if you partake of this bread and this juice, you are basically saying, Yes, Lord God, I believe that it is your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave up His body for me and that He shed His blood for the forgiveness of my sins and I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is, Oh, let's do it. Let's do it every day. Let's do it once in the morning, once in the, in the noontime, once in the evening, twice on Sundays. This is what they did. Look, Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, capital he, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. When something is not perfect, you keep on doing it. Just like Thomas Edison. 2,300 something attempts at the light bulb. Why? He couldn't get it until he was able to perfect it. The priest does it time offering the same sacrifice. And what does the right of Rehibu tell us? It cannot take away sins. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross, carried your sin and my sin, shed His blood on the cross, He perfected for all time one sacrifice once for all. That's it. How do I know? He sat down. It's finished. What do I do when I stop finish my preaching? I go down, I sit with you. My job is done. He sat down. It is finished. Tetelestai. It is completed. Colossians 1.13 says, He canceled the written code which was against us. He nailed it to the cross. It's a done deal. Why do you keep on wanting to pay for your sin? When something has already been paid, you cannot pay for it anymore. When there has been sacrifice, when there has already been forgiveness of sin, there is no sacrifice that remains. It's a done deal. What do we do? Waiting for the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Why? For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. These are just signs. These are just symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Let's not assign something more to what it really is. We've discussed signs. How about the sequence? What was the sequence? Why are we talking about sequence? When God promised Abraham in Genesis 15, and he took him outside, look at the heavens. Count the stars if you are indeed able to count them, he said. So shall your descendants be. So God gave him the promise. What did Abraham do? He believed in the Lord. Why am I being particular about this? Everybody has their own belief system. I believe, I believe, I believe. So what? I believe in the Lord. Abraham believed in the Lord. The object of Abraham's faith was the Lord our God. And what happened? He, capital He. That's God. What did He do? He reckoned it to Him as what? As righteousness. That word reckoned 
is an accounting term. God imputed. God was the one who declared Abraham as righteous. Was Abraham righteous? Of course not. How many times did he lie? Is my sister. Oh, righteous? But God declared him righteous. Why? Because he believed in God. If you are in Christ, you are righteous because you have the righteousness that comes from faith. The problem is, do we live as if we are righteous? Do we live righteous lives? This is God declaring Abraham to be righteous. Why? All he did was believe. So sequence. You have to hear the word of God. You have to hear the promises of God. You have to make a decision and God will take care of the rest. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him, Jesus Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge, our inheritance, with the view of the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. What's the sequence? You hear, you believe, and then you get the sign. You have the mark. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your redemption in mind to the praise of God's glory. John 1 verse 12, As many as receive Him, He gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in His name. God wants us to establish a loving father-child relationship. And it comes from first hearing the word of God and believing His promise to you. Then you can have a personal relationship with God. A relationship that does not end. Why? When I die, I will still be the father of my kids. I will still be the husband of my wife. But by that time, she's a widow. That does not change. A relationship is forever. We may lose fellowship. But the relationship is permanent. That seal of the Holy Spirit is permanent. His promise to you that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, is a done deal. Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. How can you produce the, Holy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Sequence. You have to first belong to Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. You have to make sure that the sequence is right. Because if you get the sequence wrong, when you leave this earth, you might have the shock of your eternity. Why am I the only one here? You got the wrong sequence. You trusted the elements over Christ. You trusted the book over Christ. You trusted many things over Christ. You may really be convinced that you're going to heaven. You better make sure that you got the sequence right. Hear the word of God. Make a decision. And then begin to obey. You don't obey to be saved. You obey because you are saved. Obedience is the evidence of your relationship. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in your life. You cannot, okay, this, okay, from now on, I will be more loving, I will be more joyful. It doesn't work that way. It is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, don't expect fruit. The bigger question is, maybe in, according to verse 24, maybe you don't even belong to Christ. That is the bigger question. That is the bigger dilemma. What then is the solution? Next week. No, I'm kidding. 
Solution. Romans chapter 2. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and is circumcised that which is, circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. The solution, you and I need to be circumcised. But you and I need to be circumcised in the heart. And that circumcision of the heart is brought by the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not change your heart. You're still covered. You see the difference? You and I need to be circumcised in the heart. God has to remove the covering so that we can see who we really are in the light of God's holiness. It's nothing to have to do with the outward. It has nothing to do with the externals. It is a change of our heart brought about by the Holy Spirit. What do I need to do? John 3, 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. How did Nicodemus recognize who Jesus might be? The signs, the signs and wonders, the miracles that Jesus Christ was performing. So he goes to Jesus, even being a religious man, a member of the Pharisees. Oh, we acknowledge that you are from God because of the signs. We're not looking at the signs. We're looking at the one who gave the signs. So what does Jesus tell him to do? Jesus answered, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we know the story. Nicodemus thought that it was a literal coming back to his mother's womb, etc., etc. And Jesus Christ told him, unless you are born of water in your spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Same thing in John chapter 1, 12 and 13. As many as received him, to those who believe, gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. All you need to do, if you have not yet come to faith in Christ, is to believe in what Jesus Christ has done for you. He gave up his body, carrying your sins on that cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. And through him and him alone can you have eternal life. He will give you the right to call yourself a child of God. If you have already established a relationship with Jesus Christ, may I encourage you. See, it says in verse 13, not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's literally what born again means. It's not something that we make up. It's in the Bible. Born of the Spirit, born of God. Not born of man, but born of God. If you, on the other hand, you're here this morning and you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, May I encourage you in Hebrews 12. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You may be amiss in your walk with the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And as the song says, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Are you tired? You're beaten. You try to live the Christian life and you're being tossed here and there. Problems left and right. May I encourage you? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Look at His promise. For consider him who had endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus Christ went through all of that for you. Whatever he is allowing 
He's allowing for a good purpose. Don't lose heart. Trust Jesus. Focus on Him. Don't make a sign a sign. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I believe that I have laid out everything sufficient for you to understand what's going to partake this morning, what's going to happen. 1 Corinthians 15, I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This bread and juice is symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is a time for you to confess, to admit before God that you need Him if you don't have Him yet as your Lord and Savior. It is time for you to confess if your walk has been wayward and you need to come and appropriate the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has purchased for you. It is also a time of celebration because all of your sins have been forgiven through the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. It is also a time of commemoration to know, to learn, to understand, and to live the gospel. Because Jesus Christ died for my sins, I can live for Him who died for me. If you are that person this morning and you want to come and proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, come forward. Take a cup of juice. Take a piece of bread. And while the rest are having an attitude of prayer, remember, let this be a time of confession. Let this be a time of celebration. And let this be a time of, what's the third? Doesn't matter. Come. Come to the table. Partake of the juice and the bread. They're just juice. It's just bread. As you take the bread and the juice, Continue to be in an attitude of prayer. Go back to your seats and we will partake all together. For those of you who already have the elements, use this time. Speak to God and better still, let God speak to you. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please inhibit yourself from partaking. If there is any sin that you are not willing to give up, please inhibit yourself from taking the elements. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are committed to follow Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're basically proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you may partake. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. God, you commanded us to remember what your Son Jesus Christ has done for us. He took His he took our sins on His body on the tree. And He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we have in our hands the elements, the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we commemorate, we celebrate, and we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Taking the bread in our hands, let's pray. God, we take this bread as a symbol of the body of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for carrying our, all of our sins on your body. And you brought all of our sins, all of our sins, Lord, on that cross. We thank you. We remember you. We love you. Let's partake of the bread.
Taking the cup of juice in our hands, let us pray. God, you said in your word that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for our sins. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you shed your blood abroad for all of us. And it is your blood that covers all of our sins. That when God the Father sees us, he sees your shed blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood which covers our sins. Thank you for the forgiveness that comes with it. And thank you for accepting us to be part of your kingdom in heaven. God, let this be a reminder to all of us that when we are tempted to sin, that we envision the body and blood of Jesus shed at Calvary for the remission of our sins. Let this be a deterrent that we will not take sin lightly because you do not take sin lightly. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can celebrate what you've done for us today. Let's partake of the, the juice. God, we just want to thank you that you've given us these signs, these symbols by which we can commemorate and celebrate what your Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Let it be something that we carry, not only during our time of worship, but every day, Lord, that we live out the gospel, that we may live in newness of life. Thank you for the signs, Lord God, that you've given to us to remind us of how faithful you are. Forbid it, Lord God, that we will take these signs and assign something to it that you have not intended. May the glory go to you this morning and all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. Praise God.